Hi everyone, welcome back to the MetaBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of sexual dysfunctions found under the psychiatry section at MetaBullets.com. Let's begin with a quick overview. Sexual dysfunctions of some form are very common. They are not a linear and uniform process, and there are no absolute phases. Prevalence is approximately 30% of the general population. Causes may include biological factors, psychological factors such as sexual masochism, pharmacologic factors, and they may be idiopathic. Subtypes, according to the DSM-5, include lifelong versus acquired, generalized versus situational. Types of sexual dysfunction include impotence, premature ejaculation, genitopelvic pain or penetration disorder, medication-induced sexual dysfunction, or female sexual interest and arousal disorder. Influencing factors, according to the DSM-5, include a partner, relationship, individual vulnerability, cultural or religious factors, and medical factors. Now let's continue with the clinical snapshot. A 55-year-old man comes to his physician for an annual physical. A physical exam was within normal limits. At the conclusion of the encounter, the patient hesitates and asks for help for an embarrassing problem, which he describes as an inability to maintain an erection during sexual intercourse with his wife. This is a case of impotence. Impotence is clinically defined as persistent inability to attain or maintain an erection. In terms of its presentation, symptoms will include an inability to attain or maintain an erection. With regards to the evaluation, make sure to rule out any medical or pharmacologic causes. Also consider disease that could cause vascular pathology, such as diabetes, dyslipidemia, and atherosclerosis. The best initial test is to check for nighttime erections with the postage stamp test. If erection is achieved, then this tends to rule out organic and suggest psychiatric etiologies. Treatment includes pharmacologic options if there is an organic etiology. This may include PDE5 inhibitors such as sildenafil. However, remember that patients should not take these with nitrates or venodilators. Other therapies include vacuum device, penile prosthesis, which is the ultimate therapy. Once this device is installed, however, one can never achieve an erection again organically. Other options include psychotherapy if an organic etiology is ruled out. This may include couple sex therapy. Now let's go through a different clinical snapshot. A 33-year-old man presents to his primary care physician with a complaint that he is very anxious about quote-unquote certain things. When you probe these feelings, he reluctantly describes a problem with sexual performance in that he ejaculates immediately when intercourse begins. This is a case of premature ejaculation. Premature ejaculation is clinically defined as the persistent ejaculation before or just following vaginal penetration, and it is most commonly a result of anxiety. In terms of the presentation, Symptoms include ejaculation before or just following vaginal penetration. In terms of treatment, pharmacologic options include SSRIs. Psychotherapy includes couple sex therapy. And behavioral modification includes stop and go and squeeze techniques. Now let's discuss genitopelvic pain or penetration disorder, also known as dyspareunia and vaginismus in the DSM-4. The DSM-5 diagnosis contains the previous DSM-4 diagnosis of dyspareunia and vaginismus. Sexual aversion disorder has been removed from the DSM-5 as it was a rare and often unused diagnosis. Let's go through another clinical snapshot. A 29-year-old woman presents to her OBGYN for an annual pap smear. When asked if she was experiencing any other gynecological issues, she mentioned that recently she has become sexually active with a new partner and has been experiencing pain with intercourse. A pap smear and STD workup is negative. This is a case of dyspareunia. Dyspareunia is clinically defined as pain with intercourse, not due to a medical condition. In terms of the presentation, symptoms will include recurrent pain with intercourse. And with regards to the evaluation, it is essential to rule out a medical cause. 
This may include cervical and endometrial cancers, PID, estrogen deficiency and menopause, endometriosis, and other STDs. Treatment includes psychotherapy options such as couple sex therapy and cognitive therapy. Now let's discuss another clinical snapshot. A 23-year-old woman presents to her gynecologist after becoming sexually active for the first time. She was distressed because despite several attempts, she describes the act as impossible because of vaginal quote-unquote contractions. The patient's only medical history was rape that occurred when she was a senior in high school. This is a case of vaginismus. Vaginismus is clinically defined as a difficulty with penile insertion as a result of involuntary constriction of the outer third of the vagina. It is associated with childhood sexual abuse or strict moral upbringing. In terms of the presentation, symptoms include vaginal constriction during intercourse. Treatment options include psychotherapy, such as couple sex therapy and cognitive therapy. Physical therapy includes dilator therapy and Kegel exercises. Let's walk through another clinical snapshot. A 38-year-old gentleman presents with the request for sildenafil to help with sex. The patient states that he is able to achieve and maintain an erection. However, he is no longer able to have an orgasm. The patient's past medical history is unremarkable, with the exception of beginning treatment for depression with a psychiatrist that began one week ago. This is a case of medication-induced sexual dysfunction. As a general introduction, SSRIs, TCAs, and MAOIs have a high incidence of inducing sexual dysfunction. In terms of the presentation, patients may experience anorgasmia, delayed ejaculation, and decreased libido. With regards to treatment, one should switch to or add on bupropion, but make sure to cross-taper medications. Other options include mirtazapine, philazidone, and buspirone, which are all also alternatives. Let's walk through another clinical snapshot. A 35-year-old woman presents with the chief complaint of trouble during intercourse. She states that she is unable to attain or maintain sexual arousal that is affecting her current relationship with her boyfriend. This is a case of female sexual interest arousal disorder. As a general introduction, this is a new DSM-5 diagnosis. It is difficult to differentiate old diagnosis between desire and arousal. It expands that sexual interest and arousal may be related to more than just lubrication. In terms of the evaluation, it requires absence or reduction of three of the following for six months, which also causes distress. These include interest in sexual activity, sexual or erotic thoughts or fantasies, initiation of sexual activity, excitement or pleasure, sexual interest or arousal in response to internal or external stimuli, and genital or non-genital sensations. One must also rule out other medical disorders prior to making the diagnosis. Treatment options include psychotherapy, couples therapy, sildenafil or tadalafil, and testosterone. Other disorders to keep in mind include abnormal sexual behavior in a pediatric patient. For example, female pediatric patients inserting inappropriate items into their genitals. This is associated with sexual abuse. Another thing to keep in mind is sexual assault. Remember that this increases the risk of developing many psychiatric conditions, especially post-traumatic stress disorder, major depressive disorder, substance use disorders, and suicide. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to sexual dysfunctions, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A nine-year-old girl is brought to the pediatrician for a wellness checkup. The girl's past medical history is non-contributory, and she has met all of her developmental milestones. Her parents were recently called into the office as the girl was found touching the genitals of one of her classmates. She was trying to insert a toy into her classmate's genitals. The girl is asked what has happened and what she thinks is going on, but she is too shy to reply to the physician. The girl and her mother recently moved in with a family member. They live in low-income housing subsidized by the government 
and are currently on food stamps. The mother states that her daughter has been particularly argumentative lately and that they have gotten into arguments in which her daughter screamed at her and locked herself in the bathroom. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Adjustment Disorder Choice 2. Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder Choice 3. Normal Variant of Development Choice 4. Precocious Puberty Or Choice 5. Sexual Abuse The best answer to this question is Choice 5. Sexual Abuse This patient is presenting with a new pattern of sexual behavior which should be considered abnormal sexual behavior in a pediatric patient. Abnormal sexual behavior in a pediatric patient is associated with sexual abuse. Abnormal sexual behavior in pediatrics is a concerning finding and should always be closely worked up. Any sexual behavior in a young child that could be related to sexual abuse such as insertion of objects, oral sex, sexual play, and age-inappropriate sexual knowledge should prompt a concern for sexual abuse. A physical exam should be performed, a thorough history should be documented, and social workers should get involved to ensure a safe plan for the patient. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Adjustment disorder may present with troubling sleep and altered performance in school. However, abnormal sexual behavior warrants a more severe concern of sexual abuse. This patient's arguments with their mother could suggest this diagnosis, but it is also possible that this is simply normal arguments that occur between patient and caretaker. Choice 2. Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder would present with trouble focusing and completing tasks and would typically present with trouble in school rather than abnormal sexual behavior. Choice 3. Normal variant of development may include some questioning about sex but would not include touching of her classmates' genitals. Choice 4. Precocious puberty would present with signs of maturation such as breast development and axillary hair. Finally, a bullet summary. Abnormal sexual behavior in pediatric patients should prompt a workup for sexual abuse. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. An 18-year-old woman comes to her primary care physician for a physical for school. She states that she has not had any illnesses last year and is on her school's volleyball team. She exercises daily, does not use any drugs, and has never smoked cigarettes. On physical exam, you note bruising around the patient's neck and what seems to be burn marks on her back and thighs. The physician inquires about these marks. The patient explains that these marks are the result of her sexual activities. She states that in order for her to be aroused, she has to engage in acts such as hitting, choking, or anything else that she can think of. The physician learns that the patient lives with her boyfriend and that she is in a very committed relationship. She is currently monogamous with this partner. The patient is studying with the hopes of going to law school and is currently working in a coffee shop. The rest of the patient's history and physical is unremarkable. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Domestic Abuse Choice 2. Dependent Personality Disorder Choice 3. Avoidant Personality Disorder Choice 4. Sexual Masochism or Choice 5. Sexual Sadism The best answer to this question is Choice 4. Sexual Masochism This patient has stated that she is sexually aroused from acts of injury or humiliation, suggesting a diagnosis of sexual masochism. Sexual masochism is a sexual disorder in which patients drive pleasure or arousal from humiliating, abusive, or demeaning acts. These acts can include hitting, choking, and even burning. It is important to thoroughly screen for domestic abuse in patients that present with any signs of abuse, and to ensure that the abuse never begins in these patients. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Domestic abuse should be high on the differential for this patient. There is no information that suggests that this patient is being domestically abused other than the patient's physical exam findings in young age. 
Otherwise, the patient seems to be independent, goal-oriented, and self-sufficient as she has a job to pay for school. It is important to believe your patients when they tell you something, in particular in this case since sexual masochism can very easily explain this patient's presentation. Nonetheless, this patient should be carefully monitored and screened again for domestic abuse in the future. Choice 2. Dependent personality disorders present with excessive neediness or clinginess. These patients rely heavily on others, such as a spouse or family members, to make decisions and structure their lives. They often avoid arguments and are very agreeable. This patient seems to be independent given her career goals, position in school, and current job, and does not demonstrate these traits. Choice 3. Avoidant personality disorder presents with excess shyness and avoidance of social situations. These patients often fear embarrassment when engaging with others and may isolate themselves though they desire social contact. Choice 5. Sexual sadism is when individuals experience sexual arousal or pleasure from humiliating or demeaning others rather than when individuals are humiliated or demeaned as in this patient. Finally, a bullet summary. Sexual masochism occurs when patients receive sexual arousal or pleasure from being humiliated, demeaned, or abused. That's all for this review about sexual dysfunctions. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.